I'm Trevor Bain, and this week's episode is called Allie Behind Allie's Law. I'm welcome to have my sister, Allie, who can answer the questions having to do with this law. Hi, it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Great to have you. Thank you for agreeing to speak with me about the Restroom Access Act, or Allie's Law. I'm curious, and I'm sure many of our listeners are as well. How does it feel to have a law named after you? It feels very surreal and, um, you know, so much happened leading up to the law, but I never imagined it would be named after me. As you mentioned, it's also known as the Restroom Access Act. Um, And it's, it definitely, um, I'm proud of where this has gone, but it definitely took more than just me to have it become law and have the word spread the way it has. That's uh, great that you were able to um, even tell my listeners how you were able to get this, how it feels, just in case that they have something like this in the future. Before we talk about the events that led to the passage of the law, can you tell us what the law states? Sure. So the law states that anyone with a medical emergency must be allowed access to an employee-only restroom where a public facility is not available. And... um, There are several medical conditions that qualify under the law, including inflammatory bowel disease, which includes Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, as well as other conditions, which the law expressly states. And what events inspired this legislation? That's a great question. Um, It feels like so many years ago that this Um, happened but as I so I have Crohn's disease which is an immune disorder that affects the digestive tract and millions of people in America um, have been diagnosed with this same disease one of the symptoms that it causes is the urgent need to get to a restroom and when I was 14 years old my mom and I or I should say our mom and I were um, shopping at a retail store when I suddenly had that need to find a restroom. And I knew I only had a matter of minutes to find one. This was when my Crohn's disease was flaring. And so we asked a store manager, or we asked an employee rather, if they had any restrooms. And he said there were not any public facilities available. So we asked him to page the store manager who then came and met with us. By this point, I was crying and bent over in pain and begging the store manager to let me use their employee-only restroom. And despite him saying that he knew what Crohn's disease was, he said he was making a quote-unquote managerial decision and that we could either cross a four-lane highway or walk three blocks to another restroom. And then he told us to have a nice day and walked back towards uh, his office in the store. I ended up, and this is humiliating to say, but I want your listeners to know this so that they feel they can speak out as well. I ended up having an accident in the store and being just a month or so away from starting my freshman year in high school. This was obviously very humiliating on top of the disease at this point being very debilitating. And walking out of the store, um, our mom, which is funny to say, our mom said that this would never happen to me or to anyone else ever again. And it was around that time that I decided, I realized who we needed to contact. 
And that was the local state representative that I had met just a few months earlier while on an eighth grade class field trip to the state capital of Illinois. And she had said that anyone could have an idea for a law. And so I guess I took her up on, an, on the offer and um, the events went from there, including getting the word out and um, creating legislation or a bill that we would later present to the Illinois House and Senate. I actually also wanted to ask for my listeners a question for you. Actually, if you can answer this one. How does it feel to have a law named after you? It it feels very surreal to have a law named after me. It is, as you said, called Allie's Law, um, but it also is known as the Restroom Access Act. And believe it or not, I'm still a little shy about the fact that it is named after me, although I appreciate the representatives, um, you know, the representative wanting to do that. Uh, and it, it kind of, I guess, adds to there being a story behind the reason for its passage. And that is unfortunately what happened to me. But in reality, it's happened to so many other people, too. And it's just up to all of us and thanks to you for spreading the word and making people know that they have a voice, too. They're not alone. And it's OK to speak out and speak up. My listeners also had this question, just in case. You may, I know you touched on this subject, but they were just asking for background on what uh, Crohn's disease is for people who are unfamiliar. Yes, and thank you so much um, for asking for that clarification. So Crohn's disease, as I mentioned, is an immune disorder that affects the entire digestive tract. And uh, it, has, it affects... I think um, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation currently estimates that it affects 1.6, between 1.6 and 3.1 million Americans. Uh, It does affect, though, people across the world, and we're seeing, or scientists and doctors are seeing that um, there are, there's a growing population of patients who are affected. Basically, what what it means to say that it's an immune disorder that affects the digestive tract is that Crohn's disease can um, be can appear anywhere between the mouth to the uh, rectum, and it can be mild or it can be severe. Um, there really is so much more research that has to happen, and so a lot of people have their own experiences. Maybe certain diets, maybe you know certain foods that bother them, certain foods that don't. As I said, some have it mild or severe, but one common occurrence is that when the disease is flaring or out of remission, when it's active, often people with Crohn's disease and its sister disease, which is ulcerative colitis, need immediate access to a restroom. And also, actually me being very interested in this, I wanted to ask you, For example, I was watching the Bulls game yesterday and they were playing the Cavaliers. A player on the Cavaliers named Larry Nance Jr. was out eight games due to his Crohn's disease. Do you know any other famous people who have what you do? You know, I did not know that that player has Crohn's disease. um, And this is why it's so good to have these discussions out in the open because there's an example of yet someone in the spotlight who has a platform who maybe, you know, sports 
fanatics now are asking what is Crohn's disease, I will say there um, it, it's rumored to be that even um, former President John F. Kennedy had Crohn's disease or some sort of some type of inflammatory bowel disease. Same with former President Dwight Eisenhower. And there are currently some celebrities as well. So for your listeners who like American Idol, 2011's Casey Abrams has IBD. I believe he has ulcerative colitis. Um, Pete Davidson on SNL has IBD as well. And then there are a lot of journalists and reporters and, as you said, um, athletes and others who also have IBD. And because, unfortunately, the subject or the symptoms behind IBD are still somewhat taboo or stigmatized due to the nature of the symptoms, there are probably so many other people that have IBD who have that sort of national or celebrity platform who, um, you know, may hopefully speak up soon so that more and more people feel comfortable talking about it. Yeah, I just ironically saw that yesterday right before the interview and i just wanted to see uh, if you've heard of anyone else so how did you get the word out of what happened to you at the old navy store i know you touched on this subject sure so um back then believe it or not social media did not exist the way it does today and so the way that word got out was Uh, affirmatively reaching out to different journalists and reporters and and seeing if they were interested in having their viewers share the story. Um, Fortunately, a lot of reporters were interested in the story, and so it was printed in the newspapers. Um, It was printed, um, I think, on some online sites. But where it really got going, I think, where a lot of viewers saw the story was through um, TV broadcasts, you know, nightly news, evening news. And from there, I think uh, their affiliate, news affiliates picked it up even across the country. And so um, word spread that way. And I'm just really fortunate that journalists used their own microphone and platform to spread the word that way. What was it like for you to testify before the committee in support of this bill? I'm sure that was a challenge. Yeah, and thank you for, you know, looking into that part of the process. Um, um, I did forget to mention that part. So as you mentioned, um, I did testify before a committee. It was a House committee. And at the time, I was, like I said, I was, you know, a teenager and I had never done anything like this before. I didn't even at that point quite understand the the power I think that legislators have to make these decisions law for so many more people in the state. I think I was just excited to try to make this something that would not happen to anyone else. And so I wrote down some notes on a lined piece of paper the night before the testimony and um, shared that shared that testimony before the committee. Um, and what was amazing was the chairperson of that committee, um, former representative John Fritchie, actually said that he had a dear friend afflicted with Crohn's disease. And then he pointed to the opposition that day, which was a representative from the petroleum or the gas station industry, and asked that representative or that opponent, I should say, to do whatever he and that industry could do to make sure that there was no longer opposition to this bill. And um, 
our mom actually testified as well and so did the representative and it ended up passing on leave meaning there was even no no need to for individual votes it was a unanimous yes through the committee which was of course very exciting and how have you helped advocate for the passage of similar legislation in other states and other countries and because i'm curious if you know how many states has it passed in out of the 50 in the united states sure that's a great question so it has passed in as far as i know 17 states total um so Congrats. thank you so much yes it's very exciting so 17 states and then um other countries as you mentioned are looking at it as well and the way that i including i should say um new zealand australia canada and others the way that i've been involved in other states which as your listeners may know is is somewhat more limited because i'm not a constituent of those other states so i don't vote for those public figures in the other states people who vote who are constituents have more of a say they you know their word is kind of rep- public figures should and hopefully mo- for the most part do actually listen to what their voters what their constituents want so the what i play the role i play in other states is to connect to people or advocates in other states and if they don't already know about the law let them know um, spread that message educate people and organizations and then work with them to sort of build their own case their own testimony their own advocacy to get this passed it also um, connecting to a question you asked earlier about celebrities who have this disease i should mention Mike McCready, the guitarist of Pearl Jam, um, also has IBD and actually helped um, get the legislation passed in Washington State, where he is from. We also have had, um, you know, young people in other states, including a girl in Texas. She and her mother got it passed there, and Texas was the second state to get it passed. Um, so I've, I've worked with a lot of people and I'm so, so grateful for everyone who has played such a big part to get us up to 17 states, 17 states that now um, require retail establishments to provide that restroom access to those in need. And that's wonderful to see. We have a lot more to do, um, but we're getting there and it's, it's amazing. Actually, I wanted to ask you, too, because I've seen article after article, news broadcast after news broadcast. What uh, media have you been on while you've been in this process? Yeah, so um, as I said, media plays such an important part. And um, I've been very fortunate to get the story out in various newspapers, magazines, um, including Glamour Magazine. They actually printed in Glamour Magazine that I had an accident. And while that was embarrassing, I think it's also, like I said earlier, so important to just get the word out there and help normalize the fact that accidents happen. And especially with those who have diseases who require restrooms, that's all we're asking is to provide that restroom access. Um, In addition to newspapers and magazines, as you mentioned, TV broadcasts, um, online blogs, social media, once that really picked up, because again, this all happened in 2004, 2005, social media wasn't what it is today. 
And in addition, you know, just like um, speaking at different conferences and support groups, uh, symposia and different venues like that all are so important. And I just really believe in the power of telling your story and using your voice. And that was going to go with my next question, too. I was actually about to ask, what's the first thing you would tell anyone who is maybe in this situation to do? Yeah, so um, I would say, as I mentioned um, just earlier, like you said, I, I think it's so important to use your voice by sharing your story. And um, I realize that not everyone who goes through something like I did is comfortable yet with sharing their story more publicly and that's okay everyone has their own own comfort level um but i would say that you know my advice would be just gauging gauging your your own comfort level and from there realizing that you do have a voice you do have your story and sure people in more public settings or higher positions might seem like they're out of reach or that their first no is their ultimate no or their ultimate answer but it's important to keep fighting keep advocating keep using your voice and and knowing you're not alone and working with others to really amplify and elevate your story and their stories and i see this question is very similar from our audience. Where does your courage come from when speaking on these issues that not everyone may feel comfortable speaking about in public? That's a great question. And sometimes I still ask myself the same thing. Um, you know, I think so. I attribute so much of that, my courage to speak out. I attribute that to my family, my, you know, our mom, our dad, and, and you, honestly. I think. Um, I was fortunate to grow up in a setting and with people who just really lifted each other up and um, allowed allowed all of us to really um, process and ex- express ourselves. And so I was ne- I never really thought that it's possible this could not happen because there's been so much support to tell me that it is possible. And so I think courage comes from there. But of course, throughout this process, there were times where I was scared or I thought maybe the committee would not pass the bill through. And just knowing that, um, as I mentioned earlier, if there is a no or you know the response is a no, that that's not necessarily the end of advocacy efforts. And the beauty about advocacy is that there are different routes to take. and especially today, there are so many channels um, and avenues and ways to get your story and your voice, your story out and your voice heard. And I think that drives my motivation as well. So, um, yeah, and I, you know, just having that support network, as I mentioned, really, really helps me know that if I do fall or fail, I can get back up. And we all learn, we all do things, and then we learn what we wish we could have done differently. So if you had to answer this, what do you wish you would have done differently leading up to or after the passage of the legislation in Illinois? That's a very good question. Um, And I I do feel like it is important. You're right. It is important to sort of assess and evaluate that as well. 
I have thought um, before that um, in the in the Illinois version, the the penalty for a retail establishment not following the law is, I believe, a hundred dollar fine. Um, and it's also not entirely clear in the law when there is a violation, how someone or where someone reports that violation. So if I could go back and rewind um, when I had been talking with the representative about what this bill would look like, I think it would have been good to strengthen the penalty provision by having the fine be higher or by even having there be a step, like the first fine is $100, the second fine is, you know, $200 and so on. And then, as I said, also expressly putting in the bill um, which agency is responsible for handling the enforcement of the legislation once there's a reported or alleged violation. Luckily, that is, you know, you can always amend legislation, you can always sort of build that in. And so it's definitely not off the table. Um, But to answer your question, if I could do something differently, I would have seen whether we could make that happen in the initial bill. Got it. And I mean, it was something new for, for you. So, I mean, it's not something that should really feel there's not how do I put it um it's by you making this law that's the big thing I don't think you really have to look back you already did something that not many people are thank you so much I appreciate that also you did touch on this one but what advice do you have for any of our listeners inspired to seek passage of this or but or other legislation that interests them so I would say that if your viewers or listeners um are interested in passing something similar to the Restroom Access Act, they should feel free to contact me. um, And they could do that by finding, by actually contacting you. And I'm happy to um, share my information. They can also go online and connect with me that way through various social media or LinkedIn. And um, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation also has an online toolkit that they can refer to with model legislation um, and other sort of tools they can use to get the advocacy going in their own state or their own country. Obviously, in a different country, those tools might not apply exactly. But again, I'm happy to help in whatever way I can. Um, If your listeners are looking to pass other legislation, again, I'm happy to speak with them. Um, Obviously, it's a different subject area, but the process or procedure would maybe talking with them about that would be helpful. And just letting your listeners know again that their story matters, their voice matters, and their issue area. Like It's important to have these conversations and discussions and elevate the issues and see what barriers may arise and really just have these conversations. As I said, it's just so important. And the more people advocate, the better off we all are. And the other question I see on here is, talking about future, what's next for you in terms of your advocacy efforts? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. So I um, 
I'm currently a staff attorney at the American Civil Liberties Union of Illinois. Um, and so during the, during the day, I um, advocate for people of Illinois and pr- to protect their civil rights and civil liberties. Um, outside of that work on a personal level, I'm continuing to seek passage of the Restroom Access Act in other states. It's actually currently being um, looked at in D.C., District of Columbia, um, and we're waiting for a vote on that out of committee to go before the full council. I also um, recently traveled to New Zealand and Australia pre-COVID-19 pandemic um, to work with a young person there who's in New Zealand who's trying to get the legislation passed through parliament or the petition passed through parliament. So continuing those efforts um, and also looking at the states where the legislation already has passed and and trying to build in more protections because unfortunately, I still hear stories of people being denied access. So going back to those states where it already has passed and creating some kind of education or awareness campaign, I think is likely in um, the near future. And for listeners who are hoping to speak to their legislators and pass or pass a law that they feel like they need for themselves, what's the general timing that this one took for you that they should be aware of for maybe That's themselves? That's a good question. Um, so it took, so it was the incident um, at the retail store happened to me, I believe in, uh, in June. It was the following, uh, it was um, August 4th, 2005. So just over a year later is when the legislation passed. So it took about, I don't know, 12 to 14 months in total. But it really, it varies so much depending on the state, the particular legislation, the legislator and sponsors, really everything. There are so many factors. And the part that I take away from this is hearing that you had a unanimous vote. Congratulations Thank you on so that. much. Yes, it was it was very, very exciting. It was unanimous through the committee and also through the House and the Senate. Um, and I think so much of that is just because, again, there was a story behind the need for this legislation. And also, by the way, there were legislators on the floor who said that they too have IBD and felt that this legislation was important. So I'm very grateful to all those legislators as well. I'm sure that that definitely helped make it a unanimous vote. And that would actually be all of my questions. If I were to say anything else to our listeners, just like what you were touching on, what would be the best resource for them to use in order to study more of your law if they would look to look yeah, online? Yeah, so um, I would say, you know, unfortunately, there's not yet um, a website that is in place just solely for this legislation, but there is a Wikipedia page. Um, there is the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Um, they have a whole web page dedicated to this work. And then just various articles um, throughout the years are also very helpful. But again, I'm happy for anyone to contact me um, directly. So please feel free to share my information with your listeners if they're interested.
And believe me, I have a lot of listeners right now, so I'm sure great, a lot of people great. would be interested. But thank you for your time. That answered all of my Good. questions. Well, um, thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for spreading the word. Yeah, you're welcome to join my podcast anytime. Thank you so anytime. much, Trevor. I appreciate it. Thank you, and we're going to break.